knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So I've got a large eagle on my stomach and one on my back, and they're both shackled to my ankle, and to, 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 the, to their ankle. And they're trying to take flight, but they can only fly so high because they're chained to me. And so what it shows to me or what it demonstrates is you can fly to whatever heights you want. The only thing really holding you back at the end of the day is yourself. This is Chris Duffin on the Tom Roland po- <laughs> This is Chris Duffin on the Tom Roland po- fucking Christ, sorry. Uh, <laughs> this is Chris Duffin on the Tom Roland podcast. Today's podcast features a guest that I've wanted to have on the show for quite some time. I heard him on another podcast a few years ago, and his story is just remarkable. From growing up homeless and catching rattlesnakes as a kid to uh, finding wrestling and then turning into uh, an elite power lifter, all the while uh, managing to uh, excel in his job, which turned into a career in the aerospace uh, world. Chris is a very, very intelligent person that uh, has defied a lot of odds to end up where he is today. And he just recently wrote a book. It's called The Eagle and the Dragon. I read this book and uh, it goes into further detail about his childhood and his amazing life. And I was really happy to have him on the show. It, uh, it happened because he put something on his Instagram about which podcast his fans would like to see him on and some people that listen to this show put this show on his instagram and uh, we made contact and it made it happen so thank you for that and uh it ended everybody else is going to thank you for that because we really got a a really Im- incredible conversation whether you train or don't train this conversation has a lot of take-home value so if you're not really into going to the gym or you don't want to squat a lot of weight that's fine because after we get through the physical training part, we talk a lot about um, emotional strength, spiritual strength, goal setting, and really so many things that everyone, whether you train or you don't train, everyone can bring into their life. So this comes at a very interesting time for us, the listeners of this podcast, because it is the 
February challenge has started and that's the 10,000 push-up challenge and when something like that is going on sometimes you need a little motivation sometimes you need a little inspiration from someone like Chris Duffin who can show all of us that you are truly only limited by your mind and what you think so I hope this conversation will help you to push through on the February challenge if you have chosen to take that on. And uh, if not, I think you're just going to sit back and enjoy a great conversation with a great guy, Chris Duffin. So Chris, how you doing today? Honestly, Thursdays are kind of a tough day for me. I, uh, I squat heavy on uh, Wednesdays and it leaves me like in in zombie mode on Thursdays, but uh, I'm still excited and ready to have this conversation. So, uh, well, you're training right now. What is the, what is the feat that you're training for right now as far as your squatting? So I am doing the second half of what I call uh, my grand goals. So these are like big lifting goals that get me really excited to do some things that no one's ever done before. And so grand is, you know, big, but it's also a thousand, right? So yeah, what uh, the grand goals is for me is to be the first person in history, to be the only person that's ever done reps with a thousand pound deadlift and a thousand pound squat. So uh, a few years ago, I set the Guinness World Record on the deadlift. I did uh, uh, 1,001 pounds for almost three reps on the deadlift. That still stands today. And the next piece that I'm training for right now is to finish that with the squat and be the first person that's now done both together. And so the goal wow. is to a couple people have hit done a thousand pounds for a double in the past, which again, I could do two reps and it would still meet my goal, but I, I kind of want to beat those people as well. So the goal is to do th at least three reps with a thousand pounds on the squat. And, uh, I'm training to do that at, uh, the Ursa show in San Diego, March 19th, which is the largest equipment show in the world. So it's got a, a great audience and uh, should be a great venue to do that. Wow. So you feel good about your training right now? Is it on, on track or? Yeah, it's uh, going really well. So, and really well, I mean, like I said, I'm a zombie today. So there's, I know what to expect from the training, uh, which is incredibly hard, but everything's going to plan right now. So actually last night I did, uh, first time I've squatted a thousand was last night and I did it for two reps. So wow. and I was after working up and hitting a bunch of other weight along along the way that was pretty heavy, nine twenty eight for a double and nine seventy one for a double before that. So a little bit of fatigue. That's but that's unbelievable. I mean, it's really it's really superhuman. So many of the people that are listening to this podcast right now um, are unfamiliar with what you've done in the past. I have done my research on you and seen how you've how you've done these these feats before, like squatting, what was it? Eight, 800 pounds or more every single day for how long was that? I did that for 30 days. Every single day for 30 days, you squatted over 800 pounds. Which is something that no one else has ever come close to, to duplicating. And what's your body weight? Uh, usually I'm sitting around when I do these feats, usually around 265 right now. I'm at 280. 
And I'd, wow. I'd like to be, my goal is to be pushing 300, but I've, I've really stalled out around 280 pounds the last couple months. So I haven't really been able to get any, any higher. I'm trying to, trying to build that fat suit. People don't understand like what's fat going to do to help you move weight. Well, <clears throat> it's actually a lot more core stability. It's a lot of mass to bounce off of. And it's just like if you push into somebody, you're going to, it doesn't matter if one person has more muscle than the other, the bigger person is going to, you know, think of sumo wrestling is right. going to have, be able to move the other person better. Right. So it's mass versus mass and you're basically throwing your body mass into it. So it's, uh, you know, not the way a lot of people want to think about strength, but if I get bigger, it's going to make this feat a little more easier or reasonable. Yeah. Well, I mean, <sighs> But still, the amount of weight is is insane. I mean, how many people, how many people in the world can squat a thousand pounds? Uh, probably about six people, I think, right now, and that's about the wow. same for the deadlift. Um, and these people are all significantly heavier than me. So, like on the deadlift, yeah. the only other people that have pulled a thousand, they all weigh between three hundred and eighty to 440 pounds. So, and I did that about 260 pounds when I did that. And so the squat, wow. again, no one's squatting that weight at the body weight that I am. Uh, particularly nobody's doing it for reps. The only people that have done that for reps are significantly heavier than me. So they're usually in the mid 350s to close to 400 pounds. So one of the things that's most interesting to me, besides the fact that you're you're, you've done four times your body weight and, and it's just that it seems kind of almost like, well, highly unlikely. Like you're, you're not that as big as so many of these people. There's only six people on the planet that can do what you've, you're, you're doing. How do you, I mean, how does that work? How did you make this happen? Yes. Well, you know, the, the, the background by behind why I do these things is probably a little important. And, you know, I, I own companies that work in the, the physical realm, phys physical culture. And so there's a lot of methodologies that we promote and bring to market around um, quality of movement, rehabilitation, uh, pre prehab, and just overall like living better and through improving movement quality improving joint mechanics being able to to understand and express yourself in a physical nature and recover well and i don't like to be one of those people that talks the talk but doesn't walk the walk and so mm -hmm. it's a great and it's also a learning process for me when i'm pushing the limits and doing things that no one's ever done before in those those final phases of training into that it is such an experience. Like I feel I gain like 10 years of knowledge during the course of like a month. It's just incredible because there's no, you have to figure out a way it forces you to experiment and you're in a capacity. You're at a point right then that you can really tell those small changes from day to day that you would normally take you long periods of time of like studying and assessing your training to go, ah, this is a good, good choice. So, mm -hmm. so it's really an incredible opportunity to learn, but also for me to walk the walk of what I preach. And so that's, 
that's an, an, you know, a big component of it. We offer coaching services and we work with a lot of professional and collegiate sport teams on uh, a lot of the methodology that we have around loading and movement. And so, and that's why like on some of those other, you, you mentioned one of my previous ones was squatting every day, uh, near world record level weights. I did the same thing with a deadlift as well. Um, I think it was about a year and a half ago. And those are because it demonstrates that you've got to be, it's not just strong, but you've got to be able to recover. You've got to have all that nuance of everything that you're doing every day dialed in. Because if you don't, you're going to have issues and it's going to be a train wreck. As soon as it starts going downhill, you're destroyed because you've got another 800 pound squat the next day and the next day. So did you ever, did you ever try this? Did you ever try this with, and, and not make it like, or, or was the 800 pounds for 30 days successful on your first try? Or did you, did you learn some things along the way that kind of allowed you to, to become more durable and to become, you know, get your movement better to where you can actually do that for 30 days in a row? Yep. So good question. And the, uh, there was a big gap with the 800 pound squat every day because that was almost picking up on a whim. I didn't prep specifically for it. So I've been working on developing my axial load capacity and frequency. So that's a bit, that's a load from top to bottom through the spine. And so I'm kind of prepared to do that, but I didn't do specific preparation for a daily squat. And I was really beat up at the end of that. And so the next one I took was I I pushed the limit even further. So I decided I was going to do a 400 kilogram an 881 pound deadlift every single day and Jesus. which is way harder than the squat and uh but I, I i upped it because i i learned in that process okay i gotta spend some time period of time with my training adapting to bring that frequency to that level and so i did that but because i pushed the the goal even higher uh, I did up not not completing it. So on the seventeenth day, I detached a hamstring, and that put a pretty mm. fast halt to it. Uh, what was pretty cool is every one of these that I do. The second piece of it is it's tied to a f- a fundraiser for what I believe you know things that I believe in, and so yeah. w- we're helping raise awareness for charities. And it was really cool because I finished that or didn't complete it. And then people started picking up and doing the other days for me. Uh, (laughs) So, and they continued like, uh, you know, doing the hashtags, linking the, linking the charities, doing this stuff. So it became a, a phenomenon for the next two weeks of all these other people. Now they weren't doing what I was doing because nobody could, so there was a few like, yeah, uh, there was a I was going like, to say, where are you finding all these people that can few, do that? Yeah, there was a few like <laughs> world-class lifters that jumped in, right? And so they were able to do an 880 pound deadlift. They weren't doing it every day, but they do like one day and then another one would do another day or two people would deadlift together uh, to, to make the weight, which was pretty common Yeah, uh, that it was a lot of people doing tandem deadlifts. So it was uh, two people on the bar lifting it at once. So that was the most common. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, it's so but, that's what allows me to be able to do these things is the knowledge behind movement quality, rehabilitation, um, the science of, of program organization, 
So like this process has been a four year process. The grand goals has been in effect to build the tolerance, to be able to, to do this. The deadlift was a year long planning and I will be almost the same for the squad. It was very specific to, to March. We started in March of last year with, uh, with preparation for this on top of basically the general over year over year training around building that axial load tolerance. So that's why I'm able to pull these things off that other people are not able to. And I think, you know, there's obviously the, the discipline, the genetic ability, like all those other things, but there's no way I'd be able to pull it off without a team behind me. So, you know, I've got a team of like some of the best people in the, that around for, you know, dealing with soft tissue issues, assessing movement, uh, managing my program. So like the, the different people I have on staff are managing different aspects of this for me. I'm making, mm-hmm. you know, making this a, a realistic endeavor. Wow. It's really incredible. I mean, it's incredible to do it once. It's incredible to do it ever in your life. And then to be able to, I mean, it's just, it's just mind blowing that, that it's just day after day after day. I mean, that to me, that's like way more than like winning the world championships or something. Exactly. Well, I used to, I used to compete in powerlifting and it's way easier to prep for just doing one lift on one day, let alone being able to repeat it. Or like what I'm doing right now is just one lift, but I'm having to hold it and manage it for a lot longer. And so again, Mm -hmm. this kind of ties to our methodology. When we look at assessing movement and a global look at the body, one of the things, well, the very first thing we look at, we prioritize things uh, by the largest impact globally. And so to the spinal position and maintenance of that has the largest impact globally on the bottom body. Second being the foot. But spinal position is managed through both breathing, respiration, and stabilization of the torso. And so the impact of doing that for one rep that takes a few seconds versus three reps, which takes me about 30 seconds, is Mm -hmm. vastly different. And the demands when you get to that really heavy weight, that's why nobody's done like Nobody's done those kind of reps because it's just incredibly demanding to be able to hold that. But that's what I want to demonstrate because that's the cornerstone of like what we're saying is the most important, right? So it's, it's, it's really relevant, at least to me. Yeah. Now you've worked with uh, Kelly Starrett quite a bit, right? Uh, yeah. Kelly's one of uh, members of our advisory board. He's a, a friend of mine. Yeah. I mean, it sounds, you know, it seems like his work and, and your work parallels one another in a lot of ways. Um, and he's, yeah. you know, that, that assessment of movement has helped so many people, you know, just in the, in the CrossFit community, which is what I'm a little bit closer to than, than the powerlifting community. But um, yeah, really, really amazing, yeah, amazing stuff. Yeah. And, and so that's, you know, that's where a lot of these methodologies come from is a lot of different really high level people in various pieces of the industry and putting that all together for what does this mean under load? You know, Kelly specialism, mm-hmm. mo- mobilization. If we, we can, when we sit down, we just can talk forever because everything we believe so closely on a, a whole lot of stuff. Uh, but a lot of like what he does and promotes is complementary to what we do and promote. So like right. if I manage these things well, 
while I'm moving, I don't have to do a hip mobilization, a shoulder mobilization and all these other things, right? But if I can't get a joint in a proper position, I do need to do those things. But squatting Mm -hmm. doesn't make your hips tight. Squatting Mm -hmm. like shit makes your hips tight. Yeah, So exactly. And so that's why our stuff's complimentary because somebody needs to produce the content around that, but we don't jump into the mobilization stuff. We focus on more of the stabilization aspects of it. And if we handle those, we never need to go there. But yet again, there's always triage work. There's always pushing the limits. There's things that are going to maybe make you go there. I can't do an overhead press if I can't get my shoulder in position. Otherwise, I'm going to compromise spinal mechanics. So mm-hmm. today, if I've got my, my wad planned and that's in there, I'm going to have to fix that before I go train or I'm going to create uh, some residual fatigue in an area that shouldn't have it or I'm going to develop a, compens- a compensatory pattern. And I'm going to be walking around with that all week till the next week of training. And if I don't deal with it before training, I'm, I'm still going to have let that set in. And you're reprogramming how the body operates, which is not a good mm-hmm. thing. So, yeah. So I've I've learned with uh, Dr. Kelly Starrett. I've spoken with uh, or you know uh, presented with him, uh, Dr. Stuart McGill, the leading spine biomechanist in the world, uh, good friend. Um, you know, we've been on the lecture circuit to, uh, together. Uh, Dr. Craig Liebenson uh, from down in L.A. He's the one that brought. Uh, uh, dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, which is really fundamental to our belief system, uh, to the United States uh, quite some time ago, uh, and you know I've lectured with 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 Craig. I've met all the main instructors from the Prague School of Medicine that have actually developed this philosophy over the last mm, seventy years or so, and uh, so it's it's really a matter of like that's where this stuff has come from is the industry leaders in all these different uh, areas finding what is the commonalities between those? And then actually, how do we actually put this together? Not in a sedentary population where a lot of the research is done, not Mm -hmm. with elderly, again, like an elderly sedentary population or how we're used to looking at it is working with a directly with a physical therapist or a chiro or whoever in a, a strictly, you know, clinical setting versus let's look at this while we're squatting. Let's right. look at this while we're overhead pressing or running a yoke or whatever it is, because if I understand the nuance and the difference of this subtle change in rib cage position and what that means on the body, these subtle changes in foot mechanics and what that means, uh, people want to jump to these like bigger things of like knee position, elbow position, all these other pieces, but those are all outputs and they don't actually drive the chain. So anyway, I'm, I'm getting off right. on a tangent here, but. Well, it's okay though, because what's very interesting about it is uh, my next question was, you know, as, as you see what your work is, is doing and, and, you know, all the people that you mentioned, how do you see this changing the way people train in 20 years? Absolutely. Or the way you're the first person that's actually asked me this question on a podcast. And I, uh, really, I commend you. <laughs> um, Oh, because well, the industry, you would be surprised that it's coming from a fisherman. I know. <laughs> the, Instead of a professional trainer. <laughs> the industry needs to change, and I don't think the industry knows how it needs to change yet. And that is what I'm trying to drive or be a part of. That's why me and Kelly are such great friends, because we see this and we're both like, 
you know, we've got our businesses and other stuff, but they're all about doing, that's why we're doing this. It's yeah. not to, no, I, I can put money can in someone's pocket. See like, that. We want people to live better, like through their entire lives. And so what needs to happen? Right. Well, it's easy to see that it's that it is it's what you guys are are after. But maybe because you're so, I mean, I don't know. It seems like you're so into it that maybe you haven't seen the the global changes that are happening. I mean, like if you walk into any gym now, you see rollers and lacrosse balls, and you see you see people, you know doing different mobilizations and you see different things that are happening, especially if you walk into a CrossFit gym or something like that. I mean, it has become the norm. It has become part of training to, to be concerned about this, to be aware of your positioning, to take care of your recovery in lots of different ways. And so it is happening. It, it may be happening slower than, than you think or want, but it, it is happening. It is. And I would like it to happen faster, but I would, I would like to see the rest of the industry, as in the people setting up the facilities, the people making the equipment, and that's really the genesis behind Kabuki Strength, is to have, we need to be able to individualize training and individualize it to a person's leverages, and we're talking limb links, joint positions, height all these sorts of things, individualize it based on their mobility restrictions. We see, and maybe not you in the industry, but like, you know, you'll see some uh, video of some like NBA star squatting and everybody all over <laughs> Instagram is like, oh my God, that's shit. That's horrible. This is because they're like, that's not the depth. He's doing this wrong. And, and what they don't get is that guy's seven foot six and he can never, ever do a barbell back squat to what we call a standard depth without compromising position, or he's going to do a partial movement if he's not going to compromise position. And so people are going to call that out all the time and they don't realize he can't. There's differences that don't allow everybody to be in great position. And when we shove everybody into the same equipment and the same barbells that don't accommodate mm -hmm. for that, we're not allowing for that. The other side of the industry, and this is kind of more business related is, um, and well, that is too, like, right. That, that drives the need for good qualified trainers to be able to, to, to drive that. The other driver I think in the industry, nobody thinks about is space. Like space is going to continue to have to shrink to keep your costs up. Right. So you need to have mm -hmm. equipment that can rapidly accommodate from one thing to the next and accommodate to the individual lifter as well. And then we've got to have intelligent programming as well on top of it. And um, so we do a lot of stuff around auto regulation using subjective measures as well as, and we're going to be involved with some other companies bringing stuff to market. Wait, what do you mean by, what do you mean by auto regulation? So auto regulation is say your, your, your squat is 300 pounds, right? Yeah. And you, so you write a plan of here's, here's my plan to increase my squat. And you've got this week, you know, over the next 12 weeks, you've got it all planned out based on your 300 pound squat max. It's all based on percentages. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm doing 80% this week and 87 and a half this week. And you've got a certain right. set and reps with it. And that's how a lot of it's done. So auto-regulation is actually going off of how your body is responding to training on a daily basis, because there's a whole lot of other fatigue factors building up. Your body doesn't 
your know the difference between a stressful set and getting yelled at by your boss or having a fight with your 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 partner in a relationship right. or staying up right. night be, uh, staying up late because the kid's been sick and throwing up or okay. bachelor party or whatever it is right so you're you you don't have a 300 pound squat you might have a 305 today and a 297 another day or 270 another yeah. day Okay, right? I'm following you. So autoregulation is the use of basically subjective measures to kind of manage your training. So like one way would be called like reps and reserve. So that would be, okay. hey, the plan is to do, you know, 10 reps. Well, no longer is to do 10 reps. I want you to do this weight and leave two reps in reserve. So if it's mm. easier, you're going to hit 12 reps. If you've had a struggle day, you're going to do eight reps. So that's a really simplistic simplistic, uh, you know, auto-regulation method. And it gets more involved from there. We use technology uh, looking at the speed of the bar. And yeah, I was saying, I was checking that out, what you were, what that, that device that you use. Yeah. So what we do What's is that called, we measure the speed and this is different. You've got to do a, a one-time like walk through with a person of, or they can do it themselves. We have a downloadable tool on our site. If so, anybody wants to Google auto regulation book of methods, you'll find a, a link uh, to uh, an article on the Kabuki strength site and read through it. And in the middle of that, there's also enter your email and we'll, we'll, we'll send you um, a free downloadable tool uh, that allows you to, to chart all this out. And it's basically, Fancy term, linear regression line. It's a slope line. And so what it's going to do is, you know, 90% of your max will be a certain speed. 80% of max will be a certain speed, so on. And we plot all that out. It's always going to be the same. It's kind of like your fingerprint. Yeah. And so if we now exchange percentages for the equating velocity, we're actually training off of what your daily max is so it means okay. we can and people think so you're not familiar with auto regulation but a lot of think about people think about auto regulation is to know when to pull back which is certainly the case yeah. and it's going to tell you like i can't i can't put more weight on the bar because it's moving too slow and i have to train in this range today right and that range right. is now that's going to be going off of your 307 pound max today or your 290 max whatever day it is it's going to actually change based on how your body is responding. And so it's going to regulate your training to actually how you're recovering, which is really great because now you can actually take advantage of every last opportunity as well. Those great days yeah. when you got a little extra in you, it tells you, Hey, put another five pounds on there. Hey, right. You know, you've got another set in here. And so any instance of that, you're going to take advantage of, but anytime you need to pull it back, you're going to do that as well. So from a and so you see that kind of development kind of going to the masses eventually. That's what we're working on. That's what you're trying to yep, do. That's yeah, what we're working. That's on. That's kind of cool. And then that's really cool. And then we're already bringing the the barbells and things like that to the market, which is so that's why we're all over uh, professional sports. So, for example, ninety percent of the top MLB teams. They're all customers of ours. We work with them on education. We work with them on equipment. Uh, we, we're in the NBA, NFL, National Hockey League, 
not as big in that, <laughs> but uh, uh, <laughs> Olympic throwing sports. We work with the Olympic Training Center. We we work with every top college you can think of. They're using our stuff, and that's because they've got these athletes, and the, those athletes are usually a lot of the outlier folks that really, really need this. But in general mm-hmm. population, there is as well, and particularly when we start accounting for injuries, mobility issues, age, all these other things. So we're already building the equipment that actually does a lot of the accommodation, getting joints in great. So it's all about getting joints in good position based on your build and then being able to execute clean movement. That accounts Hmm. for about 20% of injuries. The other 80% is programming decisions. So it's basically developing too much fatigue or too much loading in a, in, a, in a short period of time outside of what you're normally loading. And mm-hmm. so that research is based on uh, Tim, Tim Gabbett's work out of Australia. But uh, so that goes back to the value of auto-regulation right there, right? It's yeah. really... Right. That, so that's, that's how we manage those two areas. And so mm-hmm. that's where the industry needs to go. And I don't think it necessarily realizes that. And we see aspects of it coming, but there's other aspects that aren't having big drivers yet. And that's, I don't know, that's what I want to do. Like, that's what I want to make happen. And so like our whole product development, people are like, it makes it challenging because we bring stuff to market and nobody's seen it before because everybody else is used to everybody just copying each other. And here's a new, same, another squat rack, another such and such. So and, what? Then you have this this process of education. So then we have all that, the education that we've got to do of explaining this is why. And then we got our early adopters start using it. Like, oh my god, that's amazing! You saved my back. You did the, and then it starts building. It's a little easier. Yeah. That's why we're in all the uh, the professional and collegiate sports because we're dealing with highly educated individuals in that. So the conversation of explanation. Right. But to you've them. also you've also like uh, built your your reputation, and you're doing these un- unbelievable feats of strength and durability. And you're you're like this, you're like the lab rat. But you're also, I mean, you're you're an engineer, right, by trade. Yeah, I I, and I, I uh, basically have two dual engineering degrees, MBA. I ran uh, aerospace manufacturing companies. I ran automotive manufacturing companies, high tech. Uh, I did all that for almost two decades. Uh, So ran teams of engineers in those environments. Uh, Yeah. I've got a little bit of background in all sorts of- I mean, but there's a lot of reasons. Yeah. yeah. But there's a lot of reasons why people are taking taking you seriously when you bring something to market that people have never seen before. Like this is a weird looking- bar or this is this is I've never seen anything like this most people if they've never heard of the person who brings that to market or whatever they just disregard it exactly as it's, junk it's another gimmick or some crazy person's yeah, thing yeah gimmick. a gimmick no and the reputation but you're that that's huge you're not doing that no and because well that that kind of gets me into this one part that I want to talk to you about and that is that's your tattoo because I read your I read your book and your book is unbelievable by the way i i mean really i I very much enjoyed it thank you i can't believe the crazy (laughs) life that you've had man speaking of fishing i did a lot of i i did a lot of uh fishing for brook trout up in the up in the mountains catching uh, i I read that grasshoppers and i'd spend the day going from one hole to the next collect until i had enough uh fish to take home so that we could eat for dinner at night 
Right. I know. And that's what I was going to say. Like you became a great fisherman because if you didn't catch them, you're going to, you weren't going to eat. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and that became, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm actually uh dog-eared that, that page. And I was like, you know, looking at, looking at those fishing stories, thinking that we might, we might talk about that because that's my, that's my background as a being a fishing guide. And, and uh, it's almost the opposite. I came upon training because I wanted to be a better fishing guide, you yep. know, and the, the type of fishing that we're doing is either rowing a boat all day long or uh, poling a boat, which is very similar to climbing a rope. Yeah. And if you're doing it 300 days a year, it's kind of like being a professional athlete because, you, you know, so. it doesn't matter what the, what the weather is or what the wind's blowing, you got to get out there and pull that boat. And, and some days, you know, the wind's at your back and it's like, it's like one of those days you were just talking about where everything's easy and you could go all day. And then the next day it's blowing 25 in your face and you got to pull that boat and you got a giant fat guy on the bow. Yep. And so that, that kind of led me to training and strength and, and just the, you know, I just noticed right away, like if I'm better, if I'm in better shape, if I'm stronger, I can go more days for longer, just like your squat. Like, you know, if I'm doing everything properly, I'm not hurting my back. If I'm strong, I can do this longer. I can make more money. If you're more resilient, and, you're less likely to injure yourself. Like, hmm. Right. Yeah. And it, and it is, it is resiliency, but it's durability mm -hmm. too. I mean, so, because so many people, you know, they, they try to go for a while, even, I mean, we're talking about fishing, but it's a very physical thing. It's very much like being a professional athlete and, you know, you're getting pounded by the waves and then you're doing something physical all day long. And some people can't do it. I got a, and, I got a, and other I, I got a funny story. Uh, okay, good. It's not in the book, but it's just uh, related to fishing. So uh, a friend of mine, uh, he was an engineer that worked for me. He was big into fishing. He's like, I need you to take you out sturgeon fishing. So I went out with him and another engineer and I, I hooked this one. It ended up being like an 11 foot long sturgeon. Dang. And they thought it would be funny to not <laughs> set the, not set the drag uh, t uh, tight enough. Right. Uh -huh. So they were hoping to like, see me just like, Cause I'm this physical guy, you know, like it's, I, I, I look a certain way. Right. And they're just like, yeah. they want to see me fail. <laughs> right. And so I'm sitting out there and they're just like, I'm just cranking on this thing, pulling it in wine, pull wine, pull wine, just working at it. And they're just laughing away and laughing away. And I'm like, what's so funny? They're like, Oh, nothing. <laughs> just enjoying you do this. And the laugh started getting less frequent and about three hours in they're like, okay, um, well, we're going to go ahead and, tighten this drag up a little bit and you can bring it in because uh, <laughs> we thought this was going to be funny, but you're still going. <laughs> <laughs> so they had the drag too loose, yeah, not too tight. Sorry. I figured yeah. they locked it down yeah. on you. Yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, <laughs> so back to the, the tattoos. You want to, you yeah. So, well, well, what I wanted to talk about was, well, like, you know, we were talking about how you're bringing these things to market and you're doing all these different things. But at one point you were running an aerospace company and all of that. And part of one of the most interesting things about your book, which is called The Eagle and the Dragon, and that, correct me if I'm wrong, but that has to do with your tattoos. Absolutely. And yeah. and you, you talked about the symbolism of your tattoos in the book. And I wish you'd just go over that for the people that are listening, because I found it really cool. Yeah. So they're both tied with major transitional points in my life. So the first one I had done around 20 years old, and this was following basically growing up homeless. 
uh, growing, growing up homeless in the woods, you know, foraging for food, killing animals, no different mushroom types, living in tents, living in condemned, uh, condemned buildings, uh, you know, finding a place during the winter if we could, living in the back of trucks. Like, I'd say over 50% of my life was, was homeless by the time I graduated high school. And I got myself, I was very good in athletics, but I was also uh, very good in academics. I was supposed to go to college to wrestle, but I ended up getting a full ride scholarship to an engineering school that didn't have wrestling. And I went, yeah, wrestling's not going to do a whole lot for my life. Having a paid for uh, engineering program probably is going to. So, Mm -hmm. so I, I, I chose to do that. And so it was really about making sure that I understood, or maybe not I understood, but it was just a a reflection of it, is that the things that have happened to you, your environment, your circumstances, all of these things are not who you are. And I say that because, you know, I grew up in an environment where I had to deal with murders, I had to deal with a serial killer, there's human trafficking that affected our family, there was... Uh, just a lot of very bad things, drug abuse, drug running. These, this is what I grew up as a child, right? Right. And all of, all of which is documented in in your book. There's pretty crazy stories. So, uh, yeah, but everyone is, there's lessons wrapped around it, but that whole first half of the book is about what I call the Eagle. So I've got a large Eagle on my stomach and one on my back and they're both shackled to my ankle. And to, 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 the, to their ankle and they're trying to take flight, but they can only fly so high because they're chained to me. And so what it shows to me or what it demonstrates is you can fly to whatever heights you want. The only thing really holding you back at the end of the day is yourself. So this is a big tattoo takes up a good part of my body. I think it spent uh, over 40 hours getting it done. Um, and so it's all about that first half of the book is really finding your strengths, finding your identity and separating that because you talk to a lot of people today and they'll, they'll tell you, this is who I am because I had alcoholic parents. Uh, I'm the guy with the bad back. I'm the, and it's not, it's, it's nothing they have control over. So who you are is your response to these things. It's your choices, your decisions, your mindset, like that is the definition of who you are. Sure, those things are going to have an effect at you at the end of the day, but that's not where your identity comes from. It's not the things that happen to you. It's how you respond to things in the world. And so separating those two things, really finding your strengths, that's what the first half of the book is about. Second half is the Ouroboros. And so this is a giant dragon I have. Um, it's he, his head takes up you know, one of my one of my pecs, and his body wraps around my shoulder, shoulders, my back, under my arms, and comes all the way back around again. And his tail is in the mouth of the dragon, and he's eating himself. And that's what the Ouroboros is. It's used for infinity, the continual renewal of life, all these sorts of things. I think about it as the purposeful reinvention of oneself, eating the old, becoming the new. And that's what the Ouroboros is. And so this is more about specifically deciding 
who you want to be in this world, what impact that you want to have, and making the choices to become that person. So it's a purposeful identity, not just the discovery, but now purposely creating yourself. And so at the end of my life, so I'd been working for 18 years, uh, was really successful. I was actually sought after uh, in our area. Well, would would have been larger areas. I just chose, I I was very specific. I didn't want to move. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) uh, I was sought after to come in and do uh, like company turnarounds or uh, turn around a division of a company or come in and take a company and take it from like a regional to a national or international presence. And so that was the type of work I did like the last 10 years of my career. And what I loved about it and what my strengths were was the ability to help people realize potential in themselves. They weren't well realizing to repeat myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more on the coaching side, the helping people discover, discover themselves, goal setting, um, but really comes down to just like coaching, human development, whatever you want to yeah. call it. Um, and uh, that, that's what I loved about the work that I did. I didn't care about the airplane parts so much. Obviously, they need to be good so you don't have a plane crash. But uh, that was it. And, and, and on the side, I'd owned a gym for over a decade. I was coaching people there. I was competing at a very high level. You know, I was ranked number one in the world for almost eight years straight. And I was, this is when I was developing those relationships and starting to speak and, you know, starting to lecture and stuff uh, with uh, some of the individuals that we named earlier and really developing kind of that framework in my mind around assessment, correction, and how we manage these things really in a working environment. And I knew that that's where I needed to go with my life, that I needed to be able to really realize what I wanted to do in the world, which is help people understand how to live better through strength. So be able to take the coaching side of that and then add that to the technical side of what I was doing here and try to reach the masses. I considered to go back to school to become a doctor myself and uh, talking to some of my mentors in the field. They're like, you're going to get really upset sitting in school, listening to outdated info. <laughs> and yeah, and we're only going to be able to work with one person at a time. And I'm like, no, I, I want to reach well, the world <laughs> at some point or another. Like that, that's what as many people as I can. Right. And, uh, so I ended up walking away from that, uh, that career and I made a bunch of other decisions in my life, major decisions around the same time. So Hmm. reframing some key relationships and I talk about relationships in the book and how they're really the power that drives everything in your life. So really spending the time and cultivating, uh, you know, the, the right relationships and not not letting other ones be a drain on you. Uh, I don't want to get into the specifics here, but there's, there's a right. enough on that. Uh, so at that time, I, I, I made a lot of vast changes. Walked away from a, like I said, well-paying, highly secure career to found my own business with nothing. <laughs> uh, at the same time, I started going through a divorce. I retired from powerlifting to 
again, express myself the way that I wanted to in the world. And so that's where the exhibition lifting tied with the charities. Now that I've told a little bit of backstory, uh, the charities are often combined with uh, homeless, uh, homeless mothers and uh, uh, sexual abuse for ch of children, uh, all these sorts of things. They're tied to like my experiences or family's experience, right? Um, that are near, yeah. that are near and dear to me, but yeah. reframing all these big things in my life, I ended up getting remarried. That was a wonderful thing. Uh, and, uh, and so it, 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 it was an interesting process, but it was really tying. So to accomplish that you really, and I think this is a big gap. Uh, people like think about goal setting, time management, all these other things. And, they're missing like some of the key components. It's not about getting shit done. It's about getting the right things done. Hmm. And it's not about accomplishing a bucket list of things that you want to do. It's about asking the questions, why do you want those things? And keep diving deeper until you can really understand like, this is what as an individual I value. This is what I value in life. This is the life that I want to live. Okay. In the book, I use an example because it's a, uh, uh, entre the, I call them entrepreneur porn, but you know, the, 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 <laughs> the hustle porn, the, you know, those, uh, those people that are out there kind of pushing that they always go, it's okay to want the fancy car. It's okay to want the, the, the mansion, like, you know, go after it and, and that's okay. And it is okay. I, I have no morality in how I express these things in the book, but why do you want those things? And so I use that as an example because it could be that, hey, you know, for me, uh, achievement is huge and recognition is huge. And those are ways that I can see that as long as I understand that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because there's other ways now that I can, oh, that's what I value. Right. Right. That's an, those are important questions because you see so many people that they achieve whatever it is that they, I mean, you can take an athlete that wins an Olympic gold medal and, and then they, or they win the world championship or, or it's a business person that gets, that finally gets the corner office. And then they sit there and they're like, huh, okay. I thought it was going to be better than this. Well, like here's, I, I thought there was going to be more. Here's here's the other problem is if you don't understand the value. So what if what if security is like one of your highest values, and you want this fancy house and fancy car because you haven't asked yourself why, but you you think well once I've been successful enough to have those things, I'll surely have security for my right. for my family. But you don't know that. You just know I want those things. So you're kind of assuming you that over leverage yourself to get those things. And now you've actually created the opposite of security. So you think that's what makes unhappy people? Yeah. So it, when that it, it's really about like understanding what you value in life. I love creative expression. I love accomplishment. Uh, security is high on my list based on my upbringing, but like tied with accomplishment and and, you know, those kind of work in opposition to each other sometimes. Continual learning, like that is a huge value for me. Like I've got about seven on my list, right? And yeah. now once I've got those values, now I can start establishing goals that would help me live those values. Right. Aligned and with And everybody them. wants to start with goals. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, that, I mean, that's that maybe may because you, you start where you want to go. Right. Or, you know, but, but some people, you know, they don't have the life experience to know any different. Right. Like, it's just, I want a goal because that I'm going to set a goal because that's going to put me on this path towards what, what I want. But with your life experience, you're pointing out a lot of things that be careful what you wish for, because it might get you exactly the opposite of what exactly. you truly want. And, I, and that's what I think you know? I've, uh, you know, my life isn't, we all have our own struggles and there's people that have it way off worse than I did. Um, but I've had a very interesting life scope and that's why, that's why I wrote the book. So if we get back to like what I'm trying to do and create is to help people live better through strength. And a huge aspect of that is mental, emotional, or even spiritual strength, not just physical. And so that's what I'm trying right. to, to help with the book. And so every chapter is tied with a lesson. And then as you get towards the last quarter of the book, it starts tying this together in more of a, a usable philosophy that you can put place in life. There's some homework that comes with it, all these sorts of things, because that's what's different. I think about my life is the scope of it has been vastly different. You know, I, I went from, you know, the, uh, some really, really damn lows to like really hard struggle. So while I was going to school, getting my engineering degrees, getting my MBAs, working full time, I was also raising my three sisters. I took custody mm -hmm. of them and got them all through high school and into their adulthood. Uh, and, uh, and, and then, you know, I had, I got to see a lot of things like the, I, I went down the executive route, performed really well in, in, in that route. And now I'm, you know, working the serial entrepreneur route, but at the same time I've mixed as a competitive, a highly competitive athlete, a coach, a lecturer, like it's, it's really a broad scope that's allowed me with a lot of introspection to develop the, the philosophy and pieces that I'm trying to tell people in. Obviously, there's a, a good mix of uh, motivation and inspiration uh, in there as well, because it's, it's right. what I'm trying to show people is not how bad, but like how far you can move the dial, how far you can move that needle. Well, so often people need um, or, or it's maybe you don't need it, but it's incredibly helpful to see how like, you know, you got it pretty good and, and you, your, your life's going just pretty, pretty, pretty well. And you, but you just can't quite get as much done as you want to. And then you read a story like like yours, and you're like, "Holy cow! How did you do it? I, I don't I don't know how you. I mean, just take the simplest thing. You know, you were you were basically homeless, and and you're a, a state level wrestler. That's very difficult. Uh, and then you take it even further. Now you're raising your sisters and, and you're, you're working these jobs and excelling and getting, you know, I don't know, you were in the book, it said, were you valedictorian or salutatorian or something? Oh, you were yeah. a really high, high place in your class. Yeah, it's valedictorian. And, and yeah. so you have so many things going, you know, against you while other people have, have, you know, security or a comfortable place or plenty of food or a warm place to sleep and they're not getting it done, but you are. And stories like yours are just so motivational and inspirational for people that think that they just can't do anymore. Mm -hmm. And then you read like what you have done. And then it's like, I mean, almost on the level of like unbroken 
which is one of my favorite books. It's like just when you think that this person's life is full and they couldn't possibly do any more, then you set world records or then you then, you know, this other thing happens. Like in that book, there were like these these whole other sections of his life that would have filled many lifetimes. But I don't know. I just find that that your story and that book and 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 stories similar to that are really good for just showing people, man, yep. you can do way more than you think yep. you can. And, and I try to provide some practical tools so that it's not just like grind harder, work harder. Like here's some here's some usable stuff that you can look look at for refining, so you can have a more laser like focus for accomplishing those things and moving your life forward. Yeah. It was good like that. Um, what do you think was was harder? Like in uh, so many of the people that listen to this, um, or I've I've ha- I've heard from a lot of people, and they're you know specifically thinking about changing what they're doing in their life because what they really like to do is to fish or to hunt, and they want to be a hunting guide or a fishing guide, and and we talk about that a lot about this this changing of your life because you're you're basically finding yourself on this or find, they're finding themselves on this path of it, it's not fulfilling to them and they want to make this change. And when I see your, your dragon tattoo and the way that you describe that as process of reinventing yourself and then seeing what you've done in your life, which do you think is scarier for someone that's about to do that? Is it giving up the security of what you have or is it looking out into the prospect of you know, which is always always really exciting. Like you're going to take on this new challenge, but there's no income coming in. There's there's tons of unknowns. Do you think it's scarier to give up the security or to look out into that unknown? Well, they're they're a little bit mixed together. You know, is yeah, as human yeah beings, they are. We try to sink seek comfort. We try to you know find that nice dream job that's cake and easy. Uh, we try to, you know, we try to find ways to find comfort and that's good. We want to try to be able to make things easier and better, but at the same time, like your life, the, 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 your work, like you, the things mentally or emotionally that are challenging, there's always this signal and it, it's, it's like going to the gym. Okay. We go to the gym, you stress the body and the body adapts and gets stronger. Okay. We get more resilient. We get stronger. If we quit going to the gym, we get soft. We start atrophying. Mm -hmm. It's the process of death and dying. The, The first one is the process of living and growing. So we need to find those things in our life regardless. So, you know, oftentimes when you're younger and you find, you know, that, uh, that person sitting across the, the room in a bar, let's say, and you're like, God, I really, that, I, that person, like, I want to meet them. And you got the little bit, you know, squirreling up in your gut that says, yeah, yeah think about, oh, think about all the things that could go wrong. And then, you know, you end up, you know, taking the step it's going to change your life a little bit. And next thing you know, you're in a relationship. And the next thing you know, you're thinking about marriage, right? And all these things have that mixture of excitement 
and scared at the same time. And every one of them, you're growing as an individual. And then mm-hmm. at some point, like some of those primal drives stop like moving you, forcing you to like make these steps forward. So it makes it easier to just sink that path of comfort. And so this is when like it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean like leaving your job and moving to something new. It could just be like taking a different job. It could be taking on a, another project at work uh, that, uh, you know, you see coming and you're hoping, ah, I hope somebody else gets that because that's kind of scary. But if it yeah. if it's got that little churn in your gut, you know, that mixture of fear and excitement, like that's a pure signal that that's what you need to chase. That's what you need to go after yeah. because that's going to provide you the opportunity to live, to be engaged, to grow. Right. And this is part of what I did in yeah. like my my leadership stuff and like turning around businesses was really on this level with individuals and challenging them on things like this. And you would see them change their entire like you'd see they'd start doing this and then like, I, I don't know, I'm scared to do that. I don't know if I can pull that off. I'm like, I have faith in you. I believe you can do this. Here's some resources. I'll pay for some classes, whatever it is. And next thing you know, they start seeing success and then other things and they start, they become more engaged with their family. They start going for walks every day to improve their health. Like that's all this stuff is tied together. And so that, I don't know, I'm not answering your question. I'm kind of going down a different route, but these are the things that we need to have stress in our life. We need to have adversity in our life. This is how we stay engaged. This is how we stay living. This is how we stay growing is to take these things on. Because if we, if we're not, you're getting soft, soft mentally, soft emotionally. Doesn't matter that you once were 10, 20 years ago, just like if you used to go to the gym 10, 20 years ago, you're still soft now because you're not challenging yourself. That's exactly right. That human is condition. So right. This is science. This is an adaptation. Like I'm, it's not my philosophy I'm making up. This is reality. Right. Yeah. That's, that's so true though. Do you think that, um, you know, a lot of people will, um, take what they're doing in the gym and, you know, you, you have people that athletes train people that like to train people that like to challenge themselves. You know, I find that, you know, if you go in there and you're doing something super challenging first thing in the morning, that's when I like to train first thing in the morning. And you're doing something that kind of, you have this, you kind of scares you kind of, it kind of, uh, is a little bit, a little bit scary. Maybe you're, maybe you're visiting a different gym. You got butterflies in your stomach before you go in there and you're, you're doing that on the regular. It seems like you're building that muscle of being able to look at something at work or look at Eggs. something in your family or look at something like, uh, there, here's an investment that might be a good one for my family, but the safe bet is not to do it. But I just, you know, you got this, you got these butterflies and it seems like, like you can condition that muscle of, of that decision making in the gym. You can, because you're doing something every day, you're challenging yourself and sometimes you're failing, Yep. right? Sometimes you fail badly, but and, and you're you doing to. it in a, somewhat call, of a safe environment. I call it the practice of living in fear. Like you've got to have some of that in your life. You got to chase it. Yeah. And there's lots yeah. of different ways to chase it. But yeah, you, you need, yeah, it doesn't have to be in the gym. It, it, it could be in many different ways. But I, I challenge yeah. people to pursue strength in all its aspects. Yeah. 
So when you're talking about, um, you were talking about physical strength, which is obvious. You just take a take a quick look at your Instagram. You've got the physical thing covered. You read your book, and you've got you know you you see these stories of of emotional strength. But but talk about the other the other strengths that you that you mentioned the not the physical we've we've covered that well but the the mental strength the emotional strength the spiritual strength how do people um you know develop that a little more again it all comes through practice so when you've got let's say you're it could be at work uh it could be a coworker uh somebody that reports to you uh, independent business, a pro, you know, a, a customer, whatever it is that y- you, you have this, like something's going wrong and you're just like, man, I, God, this bothers me, but it'd be so much easier just to avoid this conversation and hope it goes away. Yeah. Like yeah. that's your opportunity to practice this stuff. That's your opportunity to move forward. Like that's, you're going to have that same little pit in your stomach, like twisting up, right? That's your signal that Today, right now, not tomorrow, not next week. Like I need to go right now, walk over, and we need to have this conversation. Could be in your yes. relationship. Like, yeah, the, that's the practice of mental and emotional strength, right there. Um, without a doubt, like there's you can you can engage in this stuff all the time on a regular basis. And guess what? Your life's going to be a lot higher quality from doing it. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, I see that, you know, just in little things like when you were just saying that, it made me think of two or three things in my own life that uh, it might be something as simple as as your wife walks by and you're like, you're like, wow, she looks really pretty today. And it's easy just not to even say anything. But then, you know, you put yourself out there a little bit and you're like, yeah, you know, you look really pretty today, or or maybe it's somebody that works for you, or or you you pay that compliment to somebody that you might hold in on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And then you start kind of getting out there a little bit. And, you know, for some people that might be trying uh, to go to the gym for the first time in, in 20 years for another person, it might be a real emotional thing. Like, like paying someone a compliment that you're not, that that you feel kind of uncomfortable about, but yeah, I see it, man. Learn a new skill, learn a new hobby. Right. Uh, We're always afraid of like, God, if I go do that, I'm going to be embarrassed in front of everybody else that knows what they need to do. Right. Actually, there's a whole section on this in the the book around uh, what I call tryhards, because in today's society, like it's it's kind of cool to like be aloof and be like, ah, look at him over there, like trying hard, (laughs) you know. Especially with like the hipster crowd or stuff like that, it's like cool and aloof, but never like put you never put yourself out there. Put yourself out there, fail, like. That's okay to be a tryhard, but you're because you're still out there. Someday you're not going to be. You're going to yeah. end up being a master of this. So right, you know, take on and that things. is kind of like what you talked about the the human condition of just seeking comfort. And it's it seems easier to just say I'm going to be the worst one there. I'll, I'll I'm not going to go to yoga class because I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to look like an idiot. But it's it's that 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 learning and growing that you're really seeking. And it's a funny thing with the human condition. Like just the way that you described it made me think of it differently than maybe I ever have before. But 
it's a funny thing because what you're really yearning for, what mo most people are really yearning for is that growing and learning. And, but there's still something inside of you that says it's easier just not to. Exactly. You yep. know, <laughs> it's funny though. It really is. I mean, even somebody that, that, that is a continual learner. Oh, we all still get, have I'll, I'll that. Get there. People, yeah, it's still like there. Any of the things that I teach people, are like, oh, you've got this mess. I'm like, no, I don't. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll refer back to. You think it's easy to squat 800 pounds? Uh, you, there's probably days where you don't want to. Oh, uh, actually, most yeah, of most them. every day. Like, <laughs> I was having this conversation last night. There's a there's actually a documentary being shot on this whole process, and uh, I was talking to the camera guy because I'm like, you know, everybody always walks up. Are you ready today? And I'm like, no. I'm never ready for this. Like, I'm never ready for this. There's a thousand pounds on that bar right now. I'm not ready for that. Yeah. Like, I just sit here and keep going. I don't feel my mind's not. Oh, I'm not quite hyped yet. I, I, I'm not ready. A few minutes. Like, at some point, you just got to go. Okay, I got to go do this. Because here, here's a here's a great here's another great analogy. I'm not sure if I put this one in the book or not. But, you know, with with taking on something big like that something that's really scary so for me i actually maybe this is an article i wrote like 10 years ago um but uh if you walk up and last night i had a thousand pounds on the bar uh if you walk up and get under a thousand pounds and you go up and go down like during that process if you have any doubts in your mind yeah you're going to fail and bad things yes. are going to happen. All the things that you're thinking about beforehand, like what if this goes wrong and what if that goes wrong? Like you've got to walk in with confidence. And the only way that you get that confidence is through practice. And you can sit there and try to seek comfort all your life and say, I don't need that. But any given Tuesday, some car could come out of nowhere and swipe you or someone you know and change your whole life. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to be prepared on how to, you're not going to know how to handle when you're scared, when you've got anxiety, when you've got like all this turmoil going on, you're frozen. You ever see people that ha that happens to? Sure. All the time. Absolutely. You can think a lot of people that they encounter this huge strife in their life and they freeze up. They're unable to take action. That's why this mm -hmm. practice is so important. Because it doesn't matter. We can practice in all these other ways. You're never going to know what's going to come at you. But am I used to being uncomfortable? Yes. Am I used to being uncomfortable? And can I, can I take action when I'm in that state? Yeah. Man, I love it. God, I love it. Um, yeah, you're doing so much great stuff. Your book is, your book is amazing. Um, and uh, I look forward to learning more about what you do at Kabuki. Um, it's, and maybe getting out there and, and coming and visit sometime. We got that some great fishing out amazing. here. Amazing. I know. <laughs> I do know that. Uh, yeah. I used to know that. Uh, do you remember uh, Kaufman's Streamborn? Did you ever see that story out there? Randall Kaufman and, and his brother Lance. Lance used to fish with me a bunch in the Florida Keys, but they had a they were big Oregon boys, and they had uh, Washington and Oregon. Uh, they were they had the big fly shop out there. But I I kept in touch with what they were were doing, and and man, the fishing out there. I need to I need to do that. Plus, the sturgeon sounds pretty good. I've never <laughs> caught a sturgeon. Oh, that's wild, um, man! We'll get you it's down to the dinosaur, we'll get you down man. to Florida too. It's freaking a dinosaur! Yeah, I know they are a dinosaur. <laughs> you pull it, they it comes out of the water, are. and you're like, "That's a dinosaur." <laughs> yeah, 
it's a dinosaur and it jumps and it's got that weird mouth yep. and and uh, everything about it is is a cool deal. But I'd love to do that, man. We should uh, we should try to make that happen someday. But look, I want to thank you so much for um, for being on the podcast. Uh, I don't. I don't know if you'll believe this or not, but when I started this podcast, I came up with a list of people that I wanted to interview and you were on that original list Oh wow! because cool. I had heard you. Yeah. I'd heard you on another podcast and you told your story of, of growing up and it was a while ago. Um, and I was just fascinated. I, I was fascinated with it. And so when your book came out, um, I was, I was happy to read it and, and it's just great to get you on here because, uh, a lot of respect, man. You you you've really lived an incredible life, and and um, you're you're doing some great work to share the lessons that you've learned with with so many other people. So you're to be you're to be honored for that. Well, thank you for all the kind words. It's been a, been a yeah been a great interview, by the way. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. Maybe one day you'll show me how to deadlift <laughs> or squat. I'll be either happy one. To. Okay, all right. Well, you'll have some work to do. Uh, I don't know if you have weights light enough for me. There, do you have? I was I I did one with uh, Steve Slater. Do you know him? He's in the strongman world. He makes oh, the, yeah, Slater yeah, the Slater logs and all yep. that. Yeah, and the Slater stones. And he said he was going to make me a stone. And I asked him what the smallest stone that he had was, and he said it was like three hundred and seventy five pounds or something crazy. And I thought mm, we're going to need to work on a I, little I, smaller. I, I think one. we're okay. We, we so we work uh, actually with a lot of clinical populations as well uh, that are dealing with uh, very you know elderly and. Uh, populations and so our equipment is yeah that's all me designed. i'm 52 that's a, elderly uh, that's not elderly <laughs> uh, no <laughs> luck there bud <laughs> yeah well but, i'd love to i'd love to get out there and 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 see it oh i didn't mean to interrupt you you're working with the elderly oh, no, population say, yeah we do a lot of work we're 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 uh we're not in the we move massive uh weights only uh uh crowd anyway i just want to honor you for for the work that you're doing and um why don't you, if you could, would you let everybody know how they could find your book and how they could follow your Kabuki strength and your social media? Sure thing. So uh, I've got a personal website, just Christopher Duffin, C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R-D-U-F-F-I-N.com. On there, you'll see a uh, link to uh, Kabuki strength, uh, my other companies, uh, Build Fast Formula, uh, which is a supplement uh, company and barefoot athletics, which is uh, a human to ground interface, shoes, socks, uh, things on foot mechanics, mm -hmm. education as well. And cool. there's a link for the book. Uh, so it'll take you to Amazon, but it will also allow you to do a free uh, upload of the audio of the book. If you, if you need to join, but it'll give you my book and another book for free if you uh, decide to do that in the process. So anyway, links to everything's there. Uh, or you can just go to the main uh, company that I'm involved with on a daily basis, Kabuki Strength, K-A-B-U-K-I strength.com. Got tons of educational content, unique products, all sorts of stuff. And uh, you can find me on Instagram and LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook too, but I don't really do anything there. Um, I'm sure if you just type in Chris Duffin, I'll pop up, but on Instagram, you could go mad underscore scientist underscore Duffin. That's me. I highly okay. encourage you to check out the coaching channel on our Insta on our Instagram. So we drop a uh, free educational content almost on a daily basis. They're really cool stuff. So that's okay. Kabuki 
underscore virtual coaching. Okay. And that's the Instagram? That's the, in, that's the Instagram for our education, okay. our educational okay. team. Okay, cool. The main, uh, the right, main Kabuki Strength has an Instagram as well. So you can always check that out. There's cool stuff and articles and podcasts and all that on there as well. Yeah. So I was checking that out. I haven't seen the virtual coaching one though. It sounds like that's what I, that's what I need the most. It's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, need, I need the virtual coaching <laughs> the most. Um, um, awesome, man. Yep. Well, uh, thanks so much for doing this and, and, uh, we'll try to get out there and maybe do some fishing. Uh, one of these days, or get you to Florida, one one way or another. I, we got we have a fish that you would like, the Goliath group. All right, where, where uh, in Florida? Typically, where in Florida are you? Uh, you know the Florida Keys, okay. um, all the way down as far as you can go. So it's we're we're probably spaced out as far as almost as far as you can get in the United States of America. Okay, from one point to the other. But uh, yeah, it's beautiful down there, and um, I'm sure it is out there too. I'd love to I'd love to come out there if I get to Portland. Um, I'll definitely, I'll definitely come by and look you up. All right. Sounds good. All right, man. Well, thank you very much, Chris. And, uh, oh, the one thing, uh, when you do this, when you, when you're going to actually do your, your, your grand goal, when is that? And how can people watch that? Yeah, that'll be, uh, March 19th in San Diego at, uh, the Ursa show, which is the largest, uh, equipment show in the world. There's free entry to the exhibit hall for anyone that's local that wants to go. Otherwise, you'll find it uh, probably be streaming that day on our social media. So go to the Kabuki Strength awesome. or my Instagrams and uh, should be streaming on there. Might be streaming on our YouTube as well. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, it should uh, hopefully be out in uh, movie format by next year. So Right on, man. Well, good luck with that and certainly good luck with your training. And I know enough about it to know that the training is probably – even harder than the than the actual feet oh, itself. Very so. much so. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck with that, man. We wish you all the best, and um, we'll we'll do this again. I hope we can do this again. Sounds good. All right, thanks, Chris. All right, thank you. Bye. See you.